You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. But as we continue this series, one of the things that really stuck out to me, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is because I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we, we know the heroes that we know from the Bible. Uh, individuals like Samson, um, of course, Jesus naturally rises to the top of the list. That's always the right answer to any question about a hero in the Bible. Uh, Hebrews 11, as I mentioned last week, is full of just person after person whose life was used by God in powerful ways. Um, And of course, we know about the early church and Acts, and we know some of those early names, but I think sometimes it, it drops off, and we forget that there were heroes of the faith in every generation since then. And to me, I'm always inspired by biographies. I love reading biographies of individuals, um, whether they were persons of faith or not, because I love getting a glimpse into how people thought and what made them tick and why they made some of the decisions that they made. Uh, And so my hope is that we can look at some of the lives of these individuals and these leaders and how their impact shaped us even up to this day. So uh, today we, we move on to someone, and I'd love maybe just by a show of hands or let us know with a little hand emoji online. Uh, if you have ever heard of Mary McLeod Bethune, that name might be more familiar to some than Richard Allen last week. Who's heard of Mary McLeod Bethune? A, a couple? Okay. All right. Well, I thought she might be a little more familiar to us because her real legacy, there's so much more, and we're going to get into this. Her legacy was the establishment of what we now know today as Bethune Cookman College in Daytona. So who knows Bethune Cookman College in Daytona? Okay, maybe a few more at least. All right. Well, if you didn't, we're going to do a crash course today. Um, She is what I think is is a a hero here in Florida. She's a hero in the faith, um, and and she's a hero in the African-American tradition, too. So just kind of to catch you up on who she is, she was born in 1875. So raise your hand if you're born. I'm I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, In South Carolina. Uh, And and so the period of time that this was in in the country was this was just 10 years after the end of the Civil War. And so 10 years after the end of the Civil War, it's this period of reconstruction. So I'm asking you to recall your history teacher's lessons from back then. You can kind of rewind that tape. And of course, in this period of reconstruction in the United States, the goal was to abolish slavery once and for all. And we know how that process went or didn't go as well as we thought because It took until 1965 for the Voting Rights Act, so almost 100 years after that point. Uh, But in this time, when when she was born, she was born to the daughter, uh, she was born as the daughter of former slaves. They had uh, received their freedom as her parents, but they were at least at some point in time slaves. And so she grew up in kind of this, this small house in South Carolina. But one of the things that really intrigued her at a very young age was reading. And not just reading, but the idea of education in general. She was really enthralled by the idea of education for herself, and she wanted to learn and had that desire and craving to know about the world around her. And I think that was the catalyst that fueled her faith, too. She wanted to learn as much as she could about faith in Jesus. And similar to Richard Allen's story, reading the Bible and hearing the life of Jesus and seeing that she was a person of worth, in Scripture is part of what influenced her. So she would eventually move from South Carolina to Georgia and then later to Palatka, Florida. Has anybody heard of Palatka, Florida? About the same amount. Okay, good. All right. It's not too far away, but they started in Palatka and then very shortly moved 
to Daytona Beach. As well. Who knows Daytona Beach? Our, okay, there we go. Okay, if you, there we go. Um, so in 1904, she was in Daytona Beach, and she was about the age of 29, just to kind of give you a frame of reference. And, and so during her span of life, several things happened. She went to Scotia Seminary. She graduated from Moody Bible Institute. These were all things that were really, she was really a pioneer of. She was one of the three African Americans who helped form the United Nations Charter. Uh, she advised presidents. She opened a high school. She opened Mary McLeod Hospital, which was a training school for nurses there in Daytona. And it was actually the only nursing training school for African Americans on the entire East Coast at its time. Uh, she, of course, had a lot of other challenges, too. She had uh, face-offs with the KKK when she worked to register voters here in Florida. And I think this is an important point because, remember, we are here in Florida, and, and this kind of history just isn't that far ago. But as a person of faith, she was active in the Methodist Church as it was that day. And, and while she was known in her history as someone who promoted education— she was really most known as a person of faith. And she was this kind of person who believed that, that what we believe and what we believe about Jesus ought to shape the way that we live and the way that we see our lives as the potential to impact the world. And so many historians, many historians have argued that it was the catalyst of her faith that really inspired her to go and to do all that she did. Uh, and in her own story, the thing that she said that she felt called to do when she was in school herself was she wanted to go and be a Christian missionary in Africa. That was her passion. That's what excited her. That's what she was thrilled about. But then she began to feel a call in her own life that her mission wasn't necessarily global. It was local. And as much as she kept trying to go and serve in the world, she kept feeling a sense that God was calling her to stay local. And she kept looking around her own community and her own area in Daytona Beach and seeing to herself, there is so much need here. There is so much that God can do here. And I love how this begins, these early inclinations that she's feeling. We can see on this end of history how much it meant that she stayed local and made an impact where she lived. That's one of the pieces I want us to take away as we think about Mary McLeod Bethune. So the story goes that she decided as she looked around her community, one of the things she saw was that a lot of African-American children didn't have the opportunities for education, and education was something that inspired her, and she believed that if she could help open up the world of what was out there through education, then she could give these girls the tools that they would need to learn, to, to gain skills, and to begin to build a more equal society. And so she decided with, with gathering together five girls and $1.50 that she would start a school. Uh, and, and just if you think to yourself, well, maybe $1.50, maybe, maybe that's worth more today. I thought that too. So she started a school with five girls and today's equivalent of $44. Those of you who are thinking about even in-state tuition, right? at one of our Florida schools, know that that won't even get you very far. I don't even think that'll buy like, like a quarter of one of the textbooks in college, uh, much less even what we pay in public schools just for kind of supporting our local schools, right? 
But she gathered together these students, in particular these girls, and, and they even made the ink that they needed from elderberry juice that they found. And she founded Cookman Institute. And as the years progressed, she became the president of it from 1904, when they were in Daytona, up to 1942, and then again from 46 to 47. And during her life, she was one of the few female college presidents at that time. you got to think about the time in which she was living, in, the early, in 1904 to 42. And, of course, through various mergers and connections and, and kind of gathering together other schools, it would become Bethune-Cookman University as we know it today. Uh, and just to kind of help that connection as a Methodist church, this was the first Methodist school that was a part of the Florida United Methodist Conference, which we're a part of. And so those connections there led it to what it was today, which is a school with a few more <laughs> than five students. Uh, they currently have an enrollment, I looked up, of about 2,800 in over 45 degree programs. Um, and, and this is a school in itself that really helps to support a lot of Daytona Beach in itself. So at, at the time of her death in 1955, Here's kind of what she'd seen. She'd already seen the U.S. Supreme Court strike down school segregation, if you remember Brown v. Board of Education. She was able to see that happen, but she died seven months before the beginning of the Montgomery bus boycotts, which really launched the civil rights movement here in the United States. So you think about the pivotal, pivotal time that Mary McLeod Bethune stood in history and the impact that she made because in her mind, the opportunity to serve wasn't out there or far away. It was simply looking around her own community as she saw it and trying to identify the needs that she saw right around her. And if there's anything that we can take away, it's that if we can focus our attention locally, as we've tried to do as a church, as many other churches do, we can have the greatest impact possible. And so when I, I got to thinking about this, I, I asked uh, Jared and I were kind of talking about the different things, and, and he shared with me for each of the people that we're going to look at kind of like a one-word sentence. So if Jared was preaching, Jared's good at like a one-word sentence. He gave me like one word, and I decided to give us about a thousand and a half for the sermon today. Uh, but Jared's word for Mary McLeod Bethune was go. He saw her as someone who, who just had this passion to go. And when I thought about that, it took me to... Uh, the scripture in Matthew 28, which I want to look at for today. Because I think that is a good way to describe her impact in her life and the way that she understood Jesus' call for her life. So this morning we'll take a look at Matthew chapter 28. It's the end of the story. There we go. Uh, it'll be on the screen. And um, Liam, if you'll take us through those slides, if you will, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, here's that word, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. 
And, and so as a reminder, the place that we're at in Scripture as we look at this particular verse this morning is that Jesus has already risen, right? So Jesus was on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He was risen. This is, this is right after this is Easter. And so Jesus told his disciples to go ahead of him to Galilee. Now, remember, this happened in Jerusalem, and so they went back to their really their home and their hub, which was Galilee, so uh, a little ways away from Jerusalem. And they were to wait there for Jesus to come back. We know Jesus is coming back, but, but they were still trying to figure all this out. But they went ahead to Galilee. There's 11 disciples, of course, because Judas has already betrayed Jesus. And they come to this point here, and, and I love this particular passage. When Jesus shows up, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I've, I've always loved that particular passage and the particular phrasing that Matthew gives it. Because quite honestly, it sounds like a regular Sunday. We all came together and we all worshipped, but some of us doubted. I'm reminded in the song that we sang this morning, The Way, that all of our doubts and fears are welcome. And I love the idea that, that we have a church community where it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have days where, where your faith isn't 100% and you've got questions and concerns and fears. We don't have to have it all together. For example, on Easter, when Jesus shows up, they're having a worship service, but some are doubting. That tells me that that's an okay place to be too and that God can meet us in that place. Because what I notice here is that even though they had doubt, which we will characterize as A, could be a lack of belief of who God is. That's okay. It could be a lack of belief that God wants us to be around God. Like, who are we to be worthy of that? The doubt could also be, I mean, I hear that about Mary McLeod Bethune, and I see her life and impact, but like, like me? Does God want to use me in that way? And I wonder if those are some of the doubts that swirl around when we read scriptures like this. Like, could we do those things? Could we be a part of what God wants to do in the way the disciples did? And so the next line here says, Jesus came near and spoke to them. Like, don't miss this point. That Jesus still came near in spite of doubt. That Jesus still spoke to them in spite of the doubt that they had that he was resurrected, in spite of the doubt that they had of that God was going to use them, in spite of the big questions of faith or challenges that they had, Jesus still came near and spoke with them and said to them, go, go and make disciples of all nations. And this, this line through history has really been the clear call for us as followers of Jesus to go and to make disciples. That's, that's really what we do as followers of Jesus. We're disciples who make disciples. And, and he tells us here, Matthew tells us, Jesus' words, it says, baptize them and teach them. And, and I wonder sometimes if you read those words and say, oh, that's like the professional's job. So Jesus is giving kind of the official pastoral professional job to do, right? Like, I don't, like, like Brian has to baptize and disciple people, but like, that's not like our job, right? And, and I would just say to us this morning, don't let me take our job together, right? I, I'm reminded here that there was no kind of 
form of worship yet. There were no kind of like apostles and leaders. There was no kind of hierarchy of things. We would bring all that stuff in later. Before all that stuff, Jesus tells every single one of us to go and make disciples, to baptize and to teach, and to welcome individuals into the faith. And so Mary McLeod Bethune heard this call to go. And even if the society of her time and the institutions of her time and the church of her time said to her, well, that's not your job, or, or like, we've got that part covered. She decided that these, this was God's call to her, and she saw the need, and she would go in faith. And what began as a $1.50 experiment with five kids grew into the legacy and the impact that it has today. And I believe that this is because Mary didn't divide her life into, into what we would call uh, sacred church and secular work. Everything that she did was about bringing those two pieces together, the, the, the sacred and the secular, as one. Here's a quote that she shared um, from a book. It says, As I look back over the years, I feel my faith and my work have justified each other. My life has been a spiritual thing, a religious reality, creative and alive. Whatever works I have done have justified my faith, as Paul, St. Paul would say. For I have felt daily the presence of God in the tasks he has set before me in visions, and I have known his divine guidance and presence through all of my years. And I think these are great questions for us to reflect on as we try to unite together the sacred and the secular and this idea that we are called locally to. I mean, I'm asking myself some of these questions. Is my life a spiritual thing? Would I define it that way? Is, is my religious practice a reality beyond Sunday? Do I feel God's presence at work? You know, whether I am currently paid or, or unpaid in work, whether I'm employed or unemployed, whether I stay at home or whether I leave the house, do I feel the presence of God in my work? Do I daily seek God's divine guidance in my tasks? And I love that question. Do you ever see God show up in your email box? I mean, I see a lot of like sales and a lot of emails. But what if we could shift our thinking to see God in the tasks list that we have every day? I'm going to talk about how we can begin to do that and how we can encourage that practice. Because these are the ways that we can begin to hear God's call to go and to share the faith with others. The last part here in the passage is Jesus' words, Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this age. And honestly, I've always heard that as like comfort. Like it's nice for me to know that God will be with me every day till the end of the It gives me comfort in the trying times and in the hard times, right? But I kind of heard it in a new way this week. I heard it less in the part about helping me to be comforted and more in the reality that God promises to be with me and be with us as co-workers in the world. So like, hear it this way. I will be with you every day until the end of this present age. In your task list, in your inbox, in your day-to-day, -day, in your life, in your work, and in your play. I will be with you to help you to see ways that you can go and that you can help share that great commission. 
And I got to thinking this week about what are the reasons that perhaps I or we don't embrace that more? What are the challenges? And I got to thinking about our kitchen cabinets in our house. And um, the kitchen cabinets in our house, at least, at least this is the theory that there's a spot for everything. And so, for example, uh, we've got a couple of cabinets where we just keep larger things like mixers and bowls. And we've got a, a drawer over here for silverware. And the silverware doesn't get thrown into the mixer and the bowl drawer, right? And the mixers and bowls don't fit up top, and the cups have their own spot. I mean, for better or for worse, we've got spots for everything, right? And that's good for a kitchen. But in life, what we can begin to do is compartmentalize and say that every area of my life has a spot that it goes, and they probably shouldn't overlap. And one of the dangers we can face in our faith is when we begin to separate out and compartmentalize different pieces of our life. And what I'm saying by this is, is we have our church connection, uh, we have our, our recreation that we do, uh, the way that we, we speak, we have our family, we have our work, we have our interests, we have our, our thoughts, uh, we have our taxes that are due soon, right? How do all these different cabinets interact? Is there ever a crossover? Does one impact the other? Should faith impact our taxes, right? Does the way that we use uh, technology and the internet or our thoughts, does that match with our faith or do we kind of keep those things separate? Is our speech around church friends different than it is around work friends or, or friends that we play and do recreation with? Uh, and I'm smiling now because my joke is always, whenever I used to kind of travel somewhere like on an airplane, I'd sit down next to somebody, and I hated the question, what do you do for a living? And I found some really creative things like, well, I'm kind of in human resources. You know, it's like a people thing. Um, because as soon as I would say I'm a pastor, I would notice that their entire demeanor would change. And they would either tell me everything that they knew about the Bible in that moment for the rest of the plane ride, or their entire way of speaking would change. And I could tell that they were being cognizant to speak in a way that they thought I would find appropriate. And I just wanted to, like, grab them and say, like, please just talk to me as you normally would. Like, but I think we do this where we kind of compartmentalize different parts of our life. And then we get in these awkward situations like that. And what Jesus invites us to do is to begin to put all those pieces together. So primarily our faith begins to impact every area of our life. And I'll be honest, that's not an easy thing to do because it begins to challenge some of those things. But this is the best way that I know, and that Scripture tells us, to begin to make an impact and be, begin to live into this idea of going. Is if we separate things out, then we're never going to see God in our work or in our recreation or in our friendships. But if we begin to allow those things to all work together, we can see God working in each one of those. I've always loved this quote from uh, Frederick Beekner, who says, your vocation, vocation is kind of a fancy word for saying, uh, not just what you do, uh, but, but everything about who you are and what you do with work, kind of wrapped up together. Your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. And I think of Mary McLeod Bethune as someone who found great joy in helping, in particular, young girls become educated begin to find their own voice, begin to read, because she knew that would open opportunities, and she knew that that would begin to bring equality. So her greatest joy met the world's greatest need 
and we can see the impact that she made because she allowed her faith to go over to this other compartment of work. She wasn't a pastor. She wasn't kind of on this professional side. She was uh, a lot more like, like you all as, as the church than kind of me who gets to fill this professional role. She simply allowed those two things to work together. And I say that because I think the greatest opportunity for God in the world, most of my time is spent with, with church folks. I, I love you all. I really do, like online, in person. I love you all. But I don't get to interact with a lot of people who are not already a part of the church. But my hunch is, is that most of you interact with a wide variety of people. And so I begin to think, who can God use to reach this community, to begin to identify the needs and the opportunities, the greatest needs that are out there, And I think it's every one of us as we leave this place, as we're sent out on a Sunday. So I want to encourage us that the greatest way that God can use us is by allowing the pieces of our life to flow together and our faith to speak into every area. And not to see that as potentially a negative thing, but to see that as the way that God is calling us to go. In fact, I believe that the greatest joy we can find in life is when we begin to look at everything we do with the question of God, what are you doing in this moment? What are you doing in my work? Where can I find you in my day to day? And maybe that brings up things like ethics at work, or maybe it brings up paying more attention to your coworkers. But I want to encourage us to think about, with the example of Mary McLeod Bethune, how the greatest passion that we see, the thing that breaks our heart in the world, might just be the way that God is calling us to serve. And as I look around, I know some of you are already finding and have already found the thing that breaks your heart, and you're already trying to find ways to be a faithful follower of Jesus in that. And if you're not sure, just begin by asking God, what is it that you want to do in and through me? I think about those disciples who worshiped and doubted, and God's okay with that. So allow your faith to speak in those areas of your life. Uh, Mary McLeod Bethune was a hero of the faith who found a way with God's help to unite her passion and God's call. And I'm reminded that the sacred is really never that far away from us. And your job or your career or whatever it is that you do all day long isn't something outside of God's call in your life. In fact, it is the very center in the very place that God wants to use you and can use you the best. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.